Hi, and welcome to the Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Levinson, a psychiatrist at McMaster University. And along with geriatrician Dr. Richard Stramko and other healthcare experts, we're looking to help those affected by a dementia diagnosis. This includes patients and caregivers, as well as family and friends. We understand that a diagnosis of dementia can sometimes feel scary and confusing. This podcast, along with the rest of the Care initiative, was created in order to help relieve some of the stress that comes with a diagnosis. This series will cover a broad range of topics relating to dementia and will look to provide answers to many of your questions. Before we get into the discussion, I want to note that this episode was initially recorded on December 12, 2018, and discusses strategies and challenges when communicating with people with dementia. Hi, I'm Dr. Anthony Levinson, and this is my colleague, Dr. Richard Stramko, and we're here with another live event related to our iGeriCare initiative. And today we're going to focus on some of the challenges related to communication in people with dementia. Uh, Just a few housekeeping notes and reminders. You can access this live event, as you've figured out if you're watching it live, through Facebook or through iGeriCare.ca slash events. We do archive and make available a video of the live event. And again, you can go to iGeriCare.ca slash events and find uh, recordings of our previous live events. You can submit your questions through uh, Facebook and we will try to Uh, address as many as possible. Uh, We've set aside about 45 minutes for today's live event and we'll try to address as many questions as possible during that time. If we are drowning in questions from your participation, uh, we can always stay behind and record some answers as we did with our first live event. Um, A few other things, uh, just a reminder to keep uh, asking us those questions throughout the event. Uh, uh, We're very grateful to our sponsors and we'll give them a a shout out fully at the end. We're also really grateful uh, for the feedback from caregivers like you and the response to uh, the initiative and the participation. So um, thank you again and uh, why don't we jump right into uh, some questions. We can talk in general terms just briefly though about what is it and how does dementia affect communication. So Richard, maybe just say a little bit about some of the things that we tend to see uh, in terms of communication challenges. Mm -hmm. So there are uh, a few components to communication. The biggest one that we I think see is language or verbal communication, but certainly being able to read and write and comprehend language in all forms is also important. But, you know, there are specific language centers in the brain that are impacted, and you'll see predictable outcomes when um, the disease process is impacting that part of the brain. So uh, you can see slowed speech. Uh, People will have a tip of the tongue phenomenon where they won't be able to find the exact word that they're looking for. And occasionally when people can't find words or exact concepts, they may be able to describe uh, concepts around what they're looking Mm. for. Um, So they might not be able to say car, let's say, but they'll say that thing with four wheels that you drive in. 
So they'll speak around what's happening. Um, the speech may become disorganized in that they won't know how to say exactly what they want to say. And uh, you may see some stuttering as well. Um, uh, you can see uh, repetition of words as well. So repeating words that are more familiar versus words that you use less frequently um, in sentences uh, as well. And in certain types of dementias, people can have more profound language deficits. Mm -hmm. So in Alzheimer's, for say it's more of the tip of the tongue phenomenon, they'll forget what they're saying halfway through uh, a sentence and not be able to get to the end. Whereas other dementias can impact speech to a point where there's a stuttering component, it's halted and slow. Uh, you'll notice some more slurring of the speech as well. And then occasionally people can substitute words. So, um, you know, they're called paraphasias, which is a technical term, but um, essentially you can substitute a word that sounds like another word. So, you know, they're saying car and they say care or something mm -hmm. like that, or they'll substitute a word that has a different meaning. But that's, that's fairly technical. I, I guess the, you know, some of the, the key points in some ways, like communication is a very uh, broad and complex phenomenon. It mm -hmm. includes uh, verbal, and nonverbal and things like reading and writing. And, and suffice to say, I think for caregivers and for people living with dementia, the, these changes to the brain that affect language and communication are probably some of the most frustrating, I think, for, uh, for the person living with dementia, but also the caregiver. And I think that's, you know, that's why we thought it was important to devote the session today because you know, that, that connection with people comes through language and forms of communication and, and increasingly if you're a caregiver at a distance and you're, you're trying to talk with somebody on the phone or um, the, the impairments that come with dementia and the way they affect communication uh, can be a, a huge challenge, I think, in the caregiving process. That, that makes so much sense. How, you know, how do we form the relations with, with one another and how do we interact and find meaning in our life? And it's mostly through interacting with other, the humans around us and in particular the people that are closest to us and the people that we love. And if you have a difficult time doing that, then it's frustrating. In, in the uh, psychiatry business, uh, you know, one of the things that when we focus on speech, we say, well, that's, that's really the window to thought process and also thought content. Mm -hmm. So as uh, speech and language gets affected, I think that's where it's harder to tell what the person with dementia is trying to express. And I, and I think that's one of the other areas of frustration if, if you're trying in the more you know, moderate to advanced stages to really understand, you know, is something bothering the person with dementia? And as the speech and language becomes more difficult to understand later in the more advanced stages, this is where um, you know, that frustration, I think, sets in where you're not really always sure exactly what uh, the person with dementia may be trying to express. Mm -hmm. Some other common things that we'd see, just to mention them as well, is um, people may have immigrated and be well-versed and speaking English for most of their adult life um, but then once they start to experience some of these language difficulties, you'll notice them reverting back to their original language as well. Something we commonly see. So let's turn to some uh, questions that are coming in. So here's, 
Here's one. Uh, oh, this is this is a good one. My dad was diagnosed with dementia one year ago, and right now his communication is uh, pretty much fine. How will his communication progress throughout the diagnosis? So um, maybe say a little bit about. Uh, this is an important concept, I think, in terms of understanding the stages of. Uh, how dementia might progress. Generally, it's progressive illness. And uh, maybe say a little bit, uh, Rich, about uh, the different uh, stages of dementia and some of the, the communication changes that this person might expect to see. Well, I think we mentioned some of the issues that people will experience. And generally, as the disease progresses, you'll notice very mild changes at the beginning. And they progressively get more severe throughout the course of the, the disease. But um, you know, not being able to find the right words to objects or substituting an incorrect word, uh, difficulty understanding humor or jokes, and uh, multi-step instruction. So it might initially be very complicated things that they're having a difficult time uh, understanding, and then as the disease progresses, mm -hmm. they may have more and more difficulties with just uh, simple commands. Staying on one topic and being able to focus uh, on that topic. So even within the context of one sentence, we mentioned people will kind of get lost in the middle of that sentence, but also uh, across the course of understanding a conversation as well and being able to stay on topic of you know, what you're meaning to be conversing about. They may drift off to something else uh, that's not related to what you're uh, discussing specifically and then slower response time. And that's all within the early stages of the disease. When you progress on to the middle stages of the disease, more words are becoming lost. So initially, um, you know, you might lose speaking about knuckle or glasses frame. These are words that you use much less commonly mm -hmm. than something like a hand or a foot. So you'll see people as the disease is progressing, some of the more simple names are becoming lost uh, to them. They become more increasingly repetitive of uh, the words that they're using and difficulty uh, having difficulty understanding more everyday uh, conversation. The other side of it is not being able to understand what uh, they're reading. So, yeah. you know, a component of that is attention. If you can't pay attention to something, then it's it's a hard to retain what you've been learning. But also a part of it is not being able to understand the complexities of the sentence structure. So you may notice people reading a lot less, even if they were a voracious uh, mm -hmm. reader before. And then uh, because of the hard times that they're having with their communication, it puts stress on them as well. So you can see people becoming more withdrawn uh, socially because they have a hard time maintaining a conversation amongst their peers. And when the topic of conversation is switching between many different topics, or there are uh, several people talking at once and kind of bouncing back and forth, um, it can make people feel very inadequate because they can't follow those conversations. It can be really hard with and respect just sort to their of pull back and with quality of life. Yeah. yeah, so that's definitely something to be uh, looking out for. And so you can, that's the, the moderate stage. And then when things get very severe and, and the memory and thinking changes and the language changes, um, are quite profound, then you know, people may not be able to speak uh, at all. And they, they may become completely withdrawn or things won't make as much sense. They'll be saying the same word again and again or they won't be able to formulate uh, complete sentences. But again, that's only when things are very severe at the end and, stages. And you know, we, it, it bears repeating that uh, dementia is an umbrella term mm -hmm. that covers 
uh, a variety of different underlying causes of dementia or conditions. And there are some causes of dementia that uh, may be associated with language deficits or impairments much earlier on. So I'm thinking of, you know, some of the, the frontal lobe causes of dementia that may affect the, uh, the speech parts and language parts of the brain earlier. Uh, there's there's uh, a particular form of that where people's yeah. language can be affected uh, earlier. Uh, some of the uh, those diseases too, we haven't talked about communication, uh, but uh, people may use inappropriate language or communication mm -hmm. in those, uh, those dementias that affect the front parts of the brain, uh, or dementias uh, that are secondary to vascular causes where there might be strokes in parts of the brain that are directly involved in sort of the speech and language areas. I think that's a really important topic to bring up as well um, for caregiver education and just general dementia education is the types of dementia that present initially as only a language problem. Mm -hmm. And so the memory is okay and the thinking's okay, visual spatial perception is okay. There's been not been a lot of um, personality or behavior changes. But somebody will have really, you know, halted, stuttering speech. They're uh, tripping over their words. That's called a non-fluent variant, primary progressive language dementia. And then there's a, a semantic version where people will substitute out words inappropriately. But again, um, they'll, everything else will be intact with their memory and thinking. And then even some variants of Alzheimer's disease, the language problems that people are experiencing will be out of proportion to anything else that they're experiencing with respect to memory and thinking and the functional problems so you know being able to interact with people in your day-to-day -day life and not being able to communicate are really some of the largest are the largest problems that they're experiencing and we see people quite frequently that won't get to that diagnosis because mm. people are you know often saying well you haven't had a stroke so why is your language you know problematic but um, it's it's not uncommon that we see these people in our clinic with pure language challenges. So, you know, I think, um, again, we, we try to cover a broad range of different mm -hmm. uh, uh, conditions and things that will be useful for caregivers, irrespective of the type of diagnosis. We, we have a few of the lessons on iGerryCare.ca. Uh, one, the, the first lesson, which is really about what is dementia, but we have a lesson uh, on the various types of dementia. And uh, that might be helpful for yeah. people just to get um, a better sense of what might be the types. And uh, in general, most of these uh, main causes are progressive. So back to this question, mm -hmm. you know, it's likely that you will see a, a progression from sort of uh, milder or uh, right now it doesn't sound like the communication issues are, are, are that bad, but in most of these uh, dementias, they, you can anticipate that they will get worse. In certain types of dementias, uh, like vascular, if you did have a, another stroke that affected a language center, you may get a sort of progression that could go a little bit more rapidly. I think uh, as well, being proactive in this sense is really important, and that's why we put a lot of these lessons together is not to alarm anybody, but the caregivers that we've discussed really want to know, you know, what are the stages and what can I expect next? 
and it's not to become an expert at all parts, you know, of everything related to dementia at all at all times. But you know, if the communication is okay now, that's great. But you know that there are resources on our site and some of the other resources that we'll be sharing with you that when there are problems, you can go back and you can reference them and learn some more about how to deal um, or how to use communication strategies or techniques. And, and I think um, this particular question highlights, you know, while the communication is still fine, this is a good time to have maybe some challenging conversations around uh, future planning, um, you know, or organizing things for, uh, say, a substitute decision maker or for the future when communication may be more challenging. So, um, again, there's I think it's, it's a good time to start thinking and planning when uh, the communication deficits are uh, maybe not there at all or, or mild. So. And we see people in hospital all the time that haven't had these conversations and it can be really anxiety provoking for the family at that time when they didn't get direction. Yeah. But, you know, with respect to things like, you know, what degree of intervention do you, do you want? Uh, do you want to go to an intensive care unit or, or things like that, you know? And, wills and powers of attorney and stuff like and that. And it may be challenging for the person to express those things at a time when either the dementia is more advanced and they may also be acutely ill with, with something. Before we move on to the rest of the Q&A portion of the show, I'd just like to take a few moments to tell everyone a little bit more about the iGerryCare.ca website. Here you can find a number of lessons which cover a range of topics, from the basics of understanding dementia, management options, brain health, and caregiver wellness, to name a few. In addition to these lessons, you'll also have access to our live event video recordings, as well as email-based learning options. We're constantly looking to raise awareness about iGerryCare, develop new educational materials, and maintain this as a free resource for caregivers. If you'd like to help, you can support our program by clicking on the Donate button on the top right portion of our website. 100% of your donation goes to iGerryCare. Now, with that out of the way, let's get back to the show. All right, let's, uh, let's go to another question. Um, how do you deal with agitated blabber when you know the person's trying to ask a question but they're frustrated and, and you can't really answer. So not heard that term agitated blabber, but I think yeah. I'm familiar with it in terms of, um, you know, somebody, some, the person with dementia is trying to express something, they're getting frustrated mm -hmm. and seem to be getting more agitated. Uh, you as the caregiver are having trouble understanding. So you're, you're either getting frustrated or you're just distressed because you, you see that the person with dementia is getting more frustrated so mm -hmm. um yeah how would how would you deal with that you know they're trying to say something and, and right um i think it's important to go through um a basic checklist of, of things that they might be trying to communicate and so oftentimes we'll see uh, people that are labeled as having a behavioral problem or being a difficult patient are simply just trying to communicate their unmet needs. Mm. And it's not dissimilar when, you know, if, if you've had children and you, they're not able to speak yet, uh, you go through your checklist, like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you in any kind of pain? 
do you have to go to the bathroom or have you yeah. gone to the bathroom and you need to deal with the consequences of those things? Are you tired? Uh, are you lonely? Um, and then also, you know, you can get into the specifics of what they're trying to say, but you really don't want to, to miss out on these basic needs that they might be trying to uh, communicate to you. The other thing with the agitated blabber would be um, making sure there's nothing more serious medically going on. If you notice that it's a big pattern or there's a sudden change in the agitated blabber, then it could be related to an uh, acute confused state called delirium. We've mentioned this in other um, other videos as well. So I think those are, are big things to go through, making sure there's nothing, no big change or no medical problem like a urinary tract infection or something that's happened to them. And at the same time, going through that checklist of unmet needs, presenting them with options uh, and seeing how they respond to the options that, that you give them. And there is uh, the case where you go through all of those situations, um, but you don't find an actual... Yeah cause and so then it's dealing with the agitated uh, kind of language issue on a more ongoing basis and I think you know we'll get into discussing some of the strategies with how to inter interact and so so uh, I'll, I'll give a, a little shout out to uh, some of our colleagues at the University of Queensland in Australia who are doing some great work uh, on um, some approaches that they're studying to facilitate uh, communication in people with dementia and for training for caregivers. So why don't we'll, we'll walk through, through their, uh, their approach, which uh, has the, the acronym or mnemonic of uh, message. So uh, the M is for maximizing attention. And, and we spoke a little bit about this, that where possible, you know, try to focus the person with dementia's attention. So if you're in a, a crowded place, can you move to a quieter spot? Uh, if a television or a radio is on in the background, you know, mute it or turn it off and, and do what you can to try to reduce any distraction. So that's the, the M of message is maximizing attention. Sure, and the first E is expression and body language is included in this. So um, making sure that you maintain a calm body posture and not moving around too quickly, paying attention to the facial expressions that you're using, paying attention to the tone of voice and the rate of speech as well that you're using, showing that you're interested and you're engaged and you're caring about what the person is feeling and just you know generally paying attention to everything that you are putting, uh, putting forth towards the person with dementia. Yeah, so as they're agitated, you might be showing in your yeah. nonverbals that you're, you're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. um, keep it simple. Uh, one, one idea, short, simple. So, you know, rather than uh, what we usually do in medicine, when there's something wrong, ask, you know, four or five questions all in one blurted action. Say, are you having a headache? Are you having pain? You know, one question at a time, one thing at a time. Uh, people have often said, you know, one verb, one noun, one object. Like, keep one idea per statement and give the person time to respond. Mm -hmm. And so that leads very well into supporting the conversation. So, you know, you've paid attention to your nonverbal cues, you've made your speech simple, but now giving them space and time to respond to what you're saying if they had difficulty understanding what you were trying to convey, 
repeating the topic of the conversation as well. If they had a difficult time understanding a phrase, maybe repeating that phrase again and just letting them know that you're there to support their communication uh, towards you. I think even as we go through this, you know, it, it's, it's never one size fits all mm -hmm. and different people have different approaches. So you may find, you know, with, with your loved one that they like it when you help to provide the word. Other people may find that frustrating and it's like, no, give me time, let me find it. So you'll, you'll work with your loved one to figure out, you know, when's the right time and place mm -hmm. uh, to support. Assist with visual aids. And that's sort of from a nonverbal standpoint, you know, you might point to certain things if they're having trouble understanding what you're talking about. You, you might um, use visual cues, say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm talking about the television or uh, point to the telephone if you're talking about somebody calling, something like that. Mm -hmm. The G in message is get their message. So again, uh, supporting each step along the way. Now it's really paying attention after you've gone through all of the first steps to really understand what they're trying to communicate to you. And then, you know, the final one is to encourage and engage. Especially in the later stage of dementia, the person may have uh, lost some of their ability to communicate through language, but you can still try and stay connected with them. They still need that contact. So encouraging through various ways, uh, find familiar topics, uh, use pictures of, of grandchildren, uh, find uh, music that they used to enjoy and mm -hmm. talk about that. So continuing to try to encourage and engage in conversation. So that's the message framework that, um, again, uh, shout out to our colleagues at the University of Queensland, uh, Aaron Conley and others who've mm -hmm. uh, developed and studied that framework because I think it captures a lot of really helpful uh, things that you as caregivers can, can use in, uh, to try to overcome some of these challenges. I, I really, uh, with respect to the encourage and engage communication, the, the reminiscing component of it, a lot of times people will have intact long-term memory mm -hmm. and so they remember getting married and they rem remember having their kids and they remember what they did for work or they'll remember vacations that they had and instead of focusing on what they can't do now you can focus on pleasant memories that they had uh, in the past and then also emphasizing kind of what you were saying about um, trial and error to a certain extent and not the fact that um, one size fits all it's really a bit of a, a creative process and so we have principles but yes. they're not hard and fast rules and so you'll have to try these principles out and see what works for you in your specific situation with the, the individual and the person that's at the center of this which is the, the patient that's you know suffering with dementia. So um, here's a, a slight change well, I'm going to take this question first that uh, relates more to uh, responsive behaviors, but also to communication. Um, in a dementia-inclusive environment, whether in the home, in a care facility, or in a public setting, how does one react to these responsive behaviors? Are there certain reactions that a carer should consider avoiding or consider doing? Mm -hmm. It's a big general question. But, uh, I mean, I think we, we, we talked a little bit about it in communication, but, mm -hmm. you know, body language and nonverbal 
kind of come to mind. There's, there's, I, I would say there's some definite do's and don'ts from that standpoint. Um, a, a sort of calm tone and body language, a sort of open and accepting rather than sort of a stern or angry one. Uh, so same with, with language, you know, using uh, calming and sort of more uh, gentle kind of tone is generally going to be helpful. Trying to understand the origin of the behaviors, mm -hmm. uh, making sure as you, as you articulated, are there, is there pain? Is there, are there some basic needs that uh, aren't being met? So. I think uh, if you can, validating how the person is feeling. Um, if they're able to communicate that to you and if they're not able to communicate specifically uh, what's bothering them to l allow them to know that you understand that they're upset and that you're caring about what's happening to them. And then, um, you know, after you've gone through that, that process as well, potentially using some form of distracting technique to something that's a little bit more uh, positive or something that will just capture their attention and then you can come back to what was bothering them later but trying to find something that can engage them immediately which will allow them to kind of switch out of the negative emotions or, or energy that they were kind of yeah. experiencing. And maybe allow you uh, time to understand more about the context and any particular triggers uh, for the behavior. And I, I think you, you know the question does mention across these different environments and I wouldn't actually change the approach based on those environments, those principles still apply in every one of those, okay. those settings. So here's a, a question from Timmins, Ontario. Is it common for the patient to pick their skin to the point where they're bleeding and forming scabs in multiple locations on their body and claiming the reason they do it is because they're itchy? Um, I, you know, the, the biggest thing, I, that's not common. Um, I've, I've rarely seen that. There are certain medical conditions related to your uh, kidneys or related to your liver if those aren't working properly. Some medications and dry irritated medications. Um, sorry, medications that dry out your skin mm -hmm. as well and can cause itchiness, uh, allergic conditions, maybe you had a reaction to a drug. So I'm really concerned about that symptom in particular and they need to see a doctor for a medical assessment to rule out medical causes of itchy skin before you'd attribute yeah, that to a uh, dimension anyway. In certain, in certain institutions or even housing situations, uh, bed bugs, yeah. scabies are, are also causes of diffuse yeah. itching. Uh, dermatologists or skin doctors often talk about the itch, scratch, itch phenomenon. So yeah. it is possible that there may just be dry skin or one of these other conditions. And, and once the person starts scratching, they kind of release other chemicals in the skin that mm -hmm. do make it itchier. But 100%, it'd be very important to rule out any medical or infectious causes. We do see people who have uh, psychiatric conditions that mm -hmm. do lead to skin picking. And so what I would say is, the, the, it's not common, mm -hmm. have it checked out medically, and then if there's no medical cause, uh, you may or may not have access to uh, a psychiatrist, depending on, um, uh, you know, in, in Timmins, there would probably be some psychiatric uh, access there, and there may be a role if it seems like it's more psychiatric uh, than medical. Mm -hmm. So another question, uh, is dementia inherited? Mm -hmm. This is a, a, a great question. Um, 
don't want to get too technical, but there are certain conditions where if you have one uh, gene uh, or uh, several of those genes, you will 100 percent inherit uh, inherit the condition. So there are those genes do exist is among certain families where if they inherit a set of genes, then they will get Alzheimer's, and usually those families will get Alzheimer's. Uh, in their, those individuals, if they have that inherited gene problem, will uh, start to show symptoms in their 40s or their 50s. And you can trace it uh, very carefully throughout those families. So it's, it's quite clear that that's what that person is struggling with. And that's a more one gene, yes, you have dementia phenomenon, but then there are other uh, conditions where you have a whole bunch of different genes that interact together, and they just increase your risk. So, and then there may be important factors in the environment uh, as well that play a role. Exactly. So, um, you know, people will talk as well about the ApoE4 genotype, and you don't want to get too technical, but there are forms where they're definitely they're inherited, and then there are multiple genes where if you inherit a certain combination of them, it increases your risk substantially, but doesn't mean 100% that you will get them. I think it's fair to say uh, most people who uh, develop a dementia, it's uh, related to age, age as a major risk factor. Mm -hmm. And they may or may not have some uh, genetic predisposition. We probably don't understand most of those mm -hmm. uh, risk factors. This subset uh, of people that have a sort of highly inherited form would be a relatively small subset of all of the people in Canada with a dementia. Absolutely, less than, I'd say less than 1%. Yeah. I don't have the exact number, but it's a very rare. But it does speak to, just, just to go back, you know, dementia mm -hmm. is a, a, uh, an umbrella term, includes conditions like uh, Huntington's disease, which would be another example mm -hmm. of a, a single gene mm -hmm. disorder where there's a 50-50 chance that you might inherit the disease. And most people with Huntington's disease, if they live long enough, will go on to develop a dementia. Mm -hmm. But that's still a relatively small subset of all the people in Canada with a dementia. Mm -hmm. and, and just that, you know, we don't fully understand all of the factors uh, that may put somebody at risk, but uh, some of the tips that we have with respect to promoting brain health, those are positive lifestyle things, things that people can do um, that may help somewhat in terms of reducing some of the other risk factors. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are, oh, oh, here's one. What does it mean when slurring, I think it means slurred speech, when slurring happens sporadically or every once in a while, sometimes just with one word, sometimes with sentences? Why does this happen sometimes? And sometimes she's able to say what she wants. So it sounds like it, it's not a consistent slurring that's happening. Uh, any thoughts on this one? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, kind of separating out the different components of language, and one of them is being able to pick the right word and put it in a, you know appropriate syntax or put it in the appropriate sentence and convey meaning. The other aspect of language is being able to have the motor capability or being able to sound out what you are trying to say. So producing the words and the grammar and sentence is one side, and then being able to speak using the muscles in your mouth and in your tongue and in the back of your mouth, which are related to nerves and muscles. <clears throat> and so 
the slurring of the speech, if what they're trying to say makes sense from a, a language point of view, really points to the, the muscles and uh, articulating exactly what it is you'd like to say. Um, and so when you separate that out, the big thing we always want to rule out would be some form of stroke. Mm. Um, if it just happens once or it's very significant or severe slurring of the speech, um, and it may be associated with other neurologic findings, so not being able to move your hand or your arm or having numbness or tingling, um, you'd want to really make sure that that person's not having a stroke or having intermittent problems with the blood vessels and blood flow to the brain. If it's just very mild and if it's in the con context of a dementia that's well established and it happens at varying times of the day, it's usually more related to fatigue. So somebody's getting more tired throughout the day. It could be related to uh, a dementia that has a primary language component to it as well, or it would be more common to happen. And then we we mentioned medications as well. Yeah, so that's, we, we see a lot of uh, people who might be on uh, sedatives, things like uh, sleeping pills or medicines like uh, benzos, benzodiazepines, drugs uh, like lorazepam. Yeah. And we see it commonly as well in people who are intoxicated, right? Good like old-fashioned alcohol. alcohol you right? know, that's, so so yeah. teenagers see that, uh, yeah. you know, um, whether inappropriately or not. So it's, it's good to say, you know, is this something very serious and new and a change in the pattern? If it's very mild and the person person I would say would have to have moderate or severe dementia usually to have the slur and, and, of the and, speech. And as you said, maybe it's a combination. There may yeah. have been at some point uh, maybe uh, a small stroke to the back part of the brain that can affect the uh, pronunciation and articulation mm -hmm. and then throw in some, too much medicine or a sedative uh, or alcohol. Or and, fatigue. And, and they may Or some combination slurring. of all of yeah. those things. Yeah. So, uh, very good question, um, and, and again, highlights the importance to rule out some kind of new medical condition, especially if it's a relatively new thing that's happened uh, as well. So, anytime there's a lot of uh, change or fluctuation in symptoms, like it's occurring sometimes but not at other sometimes, uh, other times, then you do uh, want to make sure is there something medical going on. That it seems that this comes up within uh, in all of our videos now, right? Yeah. It's like a common, a common theme. We, we, yeah, we also work in a hospital setting, mm -hmm. and I think we see a lot of people in the hospital setting who have uh, delirium, and, and I think we're going to devote one of our other live events to, uh, to delirium or an acute confusional uh, state. So we have another interesting question here. Is grinding teeth common in the day? I, uh, it's not something that I commonly see um, or that's a common complaint to me uh, in my clinic, that, but it's not to say that um, it doesn't happen. Perhaps the personal support workers or nursing staff um, that work with the patient and see them for frequent periods of time may be able to comment better on that. The, 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 the in the psychiatric side of the world, we will sometimes see it as a, a side effect or an adverse effect of um, commonly used medicines like um, the antidepressants in the SSRI family. So medicines like Prozac or Zoloft or Celexa, these are commonly used antidepressant medicines and uh, they are 
not uncommonly mm -hmm. associated with jaw clenching or grinding teeth. Uh, so it, the other type of medicine uh, that you can sometimes see this with is antipsychotic medicines. And again, antidepressants in that family and antipsychotic medicines, uh, they're often used in people with dementia, uh, with or without good justification. And these types of side effects with either abnormal movements of the mouth or uh, grinding or jaw clenching may be seen. So I, I would say it's not necessarily common and I would uh, definitely do a review of the different medicines and look for some of those potential culprits, uh, SSRI drugs uh, or antipsychotic drugs. All right. Any other questions that we... Uh, here is, this was a, an interesting one. We were recommended not to bring our mom home for the holidays. Um, should we celebrate at her long-term care facility? Why might they suggest not bringing her home uh, for a holiday celebration? Mm -hmm. I think this gets back to understanding the, the person at the center of this mm -hmm. story and what may be happening uh, in their life at that particular point in time. And I'd say it probably relates more to the severity of the dementia. So if you're having a difficult time recognizing your environment or processing you know, what happens in the routines around you, it can be very challenging for people when that routine that kind of grounds them is changed suddenly on them. Um, so I, th I guess I would guess that that would be the reason why the long-term care facility would request not for you to take that person home to change their environment and potentially cause them to stress or you know if there had been a lot of changes that had happened recently in their life then th that might cause some problems but really it's going back to the person and um, understanding what their needs are and what they would want to do. So can they communicate clearly that they would like to go home for the holidays? And if they can, then listen to what they're telling you. So yeah. it's really important to be specific and do a scan of their environment, do a scan of uh, how severe the cognitive impairment is, do a scan of associated mood disorders or problems or challenges that way. And then also any behaviors that the nursing home or long-term care facility might have brought up and they should have really specific explanations to you on why they wouldn't want that to happen. Mm. And uh, actually the Alzheimer's Society has some nice uh, tips, uh, particularly around um, sort of coping strategies or ideas for holidays or special events. And, you know, in, in general, um, you, you know, exactly what you said. Uh, listen to the person, try and understand uh, their schedule, changing or disrupting the routine uh, dramatically may have uh, negative effects in terms of uh, behavior. Uh, try, though, to include and engage the person with dementia, whether it's at home or at the facility. Uh, try and pick some meaningful activities to do together, just like you were saying around reminiscence, maybe mm -hmm. have some pictures or harken back to some previous family gatherings. Um, try and pick your spots though. I guess the other piece as a caregiver is you're um, generally on overwhelm potentially throughout the year. So adding the stress of the holiday season is also, it's a good time for you to say, you know, 
set some limits, look after yourself, try not to be overly ambitious. How do you provide you know, ways to include people but without overwhelming? Is this an opportunity for you to maybe reach out um, to, to others for help around the mm -hmm. holidays and maybe more in general? So um, we've got one last question coming in. And I do like this one uh, because it highlights a really important thing we've mentioned. And it's, it's trying to define the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you answer that one? Sure. Um, you did a great job of, of explaining the term dementia and how it's um, a, an umbrella term. So there are many different types of dementia. And generally, the term dementia comes into play when you have difficulties with your cognition, which means your ability to interact with the world. So can you, how's your memory working, your ability to plan events or uh, organize your life, your ability to communicate with your language, your ability to navigate through environments and understand 3D space, and then uh, your ability to regulate your personality and your behaviors. And if you have challenges in any one of those areas and it impacts your day-to-day -day function, meaning you can't live by yourself independently, then that means that you have a dementia. And uh, you know, in lesson one, we do talk about the different, uh, what is dementia and some of the causes. And we also have lessons on the different types of dementia. Um, so yeah, so, Al Alzheimer's is one of one many of types of dementia. It happens to be uh, the most common. We think probably about two-thirds of the cases of dementia um, are related to Alzheimer's or maybe a combination because you can have uh, more than one type. So uh, Alzheimer's alone or Alzheimer's in, in combination mm -hmm. with uh, another cause. So I guess that's the, uh, the simplest answer is there are many causes yes. Alzheimer's is probably yeah. uh, the most common mm -hmm. uh, cause, but not the only one. So thanks for the question. Really good to emphasize that. And, and you know, I think really important that people get an accurate diagnosis. So if there are memory concerns, uh, other changes, uh, other impairments, you know, going to see a doctor or your primary care provider to get uh, a, a specific diagnosis is so important. It's really important. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank everybody for participating and, um, you know, take a moment to fill out the, the brief survey uh, linked in the comment section to vote on topics for our next or future live events. Uh, a, a reminder, our next live event will be on January 23rd at 1 o'clock. And uh, I want to make a shout out to our sponsors. So funding is provided by the Canadian Centre for Aging and Brain Health Innovation, powered by Baycrest. Thanks also to the Jarris Centre at Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, the Hamilton Health Sciences Foundation, the Alzheimer's Society of Hamilton Halton, uh, McMaster University, uh, our friends here at the McPherson Institute at McMaster. And I would be remiss for not saying that, once again, teamwork makes the dream work. So Jamie, Mike, Stephanie, Lori, and all the folks at our Division of E-Learning Innovation that continue to power iGeriCare. And thank you all as well. Um, have uh, a safe and um, de-stressed, less stressful holiday season. And we will look to connect with you again January 23rd. And if we didn't have a chance to answer your question during this broadcast, we'll try to either answer it on uh, 
Facebook or um, do uh, capture it maybe in a in a little video podcast if we have time. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe to our website so you don't miss a thing. And if you didn't enjoy the episode, let us know how we can improve. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.